Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Hey, I want to also welcome for our guests, our visitors, welcome you to Northbridge Church. My name is Tony Turner. I'm the I get to serve as a lead pastor at Northbridge, and we're a unique people. We're a, a, a dynamic group. And uh, matter of fact, I was just thinking as I was coming up here, Dave, that uh, it's not every church where the lead pastor is getting ready to go on the stage, and I get slapped in the rear by a coach to tell me to go go knock him dead. So, Brandon, thank you for that. For that, uh, I, I'm gonna. I can tell you, I'm gonna preach a little bit better today because of that. So, thank you. I, I don't think I've ever had that experience before in 25 years of ministry. So, uh, so I'm ready to preach, even though my voice sounds like I'm struggling. My spirit is full right now. And I ask, I start off today as we conclude our series. We've been doing this series about how to, how to get into uh, a fast tracking our career, how to get the most out of our jobs. And, and if you've been around for four weeks, you've learned. But for those of you who are maybe new here in this room or you're online watching us for the first time, uh, this, this talk is not just about men and women who are actively employed, but it might be that you find yourself unemployed right now. It might be that you find yourself at home raising children or perhaps you're in school. For whatever reason, this, this subject, this theme is really for every person Wherever they're at, whatever God has them doing, the assignment that they are carrying out, perhaps you are retired at this moment, God still has you doing an assignment in life. And so we're asking, how do we fast track that assignment? How do we grow deeper? How do we bring every drop out of the place that God has us right now? And so what I want to do is just begin this discussion. You give you just two minutes, if that even, not even two minutes, to discuss in your group around people that you're near, what, how would you define the American dream? What, what, when you hear American dream, what, does that come, what comes to your mind uh, when you think about that? Go talk amongst yourselves for just a minute. So some ideas. What, what, what are some things you discussed? Levi, what's an American dream? What's the American dream? What did you come up with? Success. To be successful in life. Someone over here, what's, what's an idea of American dream? What'd you come up with? Anyone? Everyone's like scared to talk. Garrett? Financial independence. Financial independence. Dave, when you hear the word financial dream, what do you think of? Anything you could ever want. Anything you could ever want. What, I hear stuff over here. Someone say stuff. You know, for me, I equate that as freedom. You know, the ability to be free from having to work. Be free from having anyone tell you what to do. Be free to go where you go, to take as many vacations as you want to take, to, to give whatever I want to give to whoever I want to give. That's the American dream. Well, we see, I believe, uh, in Luke chapter 12, if you have a copy of scriptures, I invite you to turn to Luke 12 because we're going to look, I believe Jesus is addressing, obviously it was not called the American dream in the days of Jesus, but it, re- it relates to us today and it speaks to us. So follow along with me if you have a copy of scriptures. If not, we have the screens uh, behind me here and to my sides. 
In Luke chapter 12, he has, Jesus has been teaching for an extended period of time. He's teaching about the way of Christ and what he's just helping people understand that, hey, if you're following after me, here's some of the things you're going to be experiencing in life. Here's some of the things you're going to have to face. And he's teaching through this series of things to watch out for and to be dealing with. And then he goes on and, he's, and we see this. In verse 13, it, the scriptures record, the, the gospel records Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So we're going to pause right there. This seems like a kind of a, a weird thing, doesn't it? I mean, as you or I are talking, just imagine if I'm teaching and I'm preaching and someone over here, someone around here were to pop up and just come up with a question that would seem off the wall. You know, Tony, what, uh, Tony, what, 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 what can we expect at the, at the Discovery Northbridge luncheon next week? What, Tony, tell me, what are we going to eat at the, at the uh, bonfire in a couple of weeks? You know, most of us would be like, what does, how do the two relate? And so it might be that as you're reading the scripture, you're going, what in the world is going on? Why would someone do this? Well, it makes sense when you think about this. And this, again, this is one reason why I love the gospels, because we're seeing quite literally a snapshot in Jesus' day in his life. It's nothing has been whitewashed or covered over. We're just reporting that the, the original disciples are reporting what Jesus was going through and what he was doing in his teaching ministry. Because you see, he was teaching part of what his warnings were and part of what he was describing in chapter 11, chapter 12 was about fairness and it was about not loving the things of this world. And so Jesus is teaching on these subjects and think about this world, the world that Jesus lived in. And, and when, when a parent died, when a mom and a dad died and they left their resources, their for, family fortune or lack thereof to, to the sons and daughters, what would happen is typically, according to Palestinian law, Judean law, the oldest son, the eldest son would receive two thirds of the family fortune. It was uh, their way of trying to keep as much of the family honor, the family money together to create a line of succession within that family to know that there would be someone that would, would be able to take a chunk of money and do great with it, to do good with it. Now, originally, you know, some of us, especially me, I'm, a, I'm a, the youngest son, you know, so... Number two sons, number two daughters, number three, number four children out there probably are thinking, that's not very fair, is it? You know, that doesn't sound like a very good deal. Well, in the days of Moses, when, when these laws were established, it was thought that the eldest son would maintain the most wealth to do the most good so that he could do what? Turn around and take care of his family. So the thought was, let the eldest son govern the majority of the family wealth in order to then see the next daughters and the next sons below him uh, continue to have, continue to experience the blessing of the family wealth. So evidently what was happening here and what happened quite a bit is that scenario I just shared with you did not play itself out. 
But instead, what would happen? The eldest son would take their two-thirds, and they would push everyone else out of the family. And they would say, here, you other five children, you got one-third of the, of the resources that dad uh, gathered together, divided amongst yourselves, and get out. Get out. Get away from me. I, I have my money to govern now and to, to deal with and take care of. And so what was happening here, evidently, was Jesus was teaching about the world and about what it's like to be a Christ follower in this world and that we shouldn't be attached to money. We shouldn't be attached to things. We shouldn't be attached to materialism. And in the midst of his teaching, I imagine there are two brothers that kind of ambled up and they're part of hearing this. And one of them looks at the other brother and in the first century, this is the first century version of an elbow. Right? You know what I'm talking about when you're sitting next to your husband or your wife and you're hearing a point that you really think the other person should be taking to heart. What do you get or what do you do? You elbow them. That's what this is happening right here. This younger brother is saying, Jesus, would you tell my brother to quit being a cheater? If what you're saying is true, Jesus, then you need to tell him that he needs to divide the inheritance fairly and quit stealing the money. That's what's happening here. And Jesus is saying to him, hey, man, I'm not here to be an arbiter between you and your family. I'm here sharing principles, but I am in no way a referee for your family squabble. And then he goes on in verse 16 or verse 15 here. We see this. He says, then he said to them, he said to him, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Right there, it'd probably be good for us just to stop and me just stop talking and we just dwell on this verse. Oh, this verse is so true and yet it is so hard for each and every one of us to live out. The warning comes to us still some 2,000 years later Jesus calling, watch out, be on your guard, be alert. It's like Jesus through the halls of time is saying to us still, no matter how good you are, no matter how pure your heart is, no matter how much you love your family, no matter how much you love kids in Nepal, no matter how much you take your faith seriously, Jesus is saying to us, be on our guard because just naturally we bend towards greediness, don't we? No matter how good we are, no matter how pure of heart any of us are, just naturally we will gravitate towards wanting more and more and more for ourselves and for our family. And Jesus goes on to warn that life does not come from having a bunch of stuff and yet we define ourselves and we live in a culture and guess what? America is not the first culture. I believe every culture had this idea that if you had more stuff, life would be better. If you had more stuff, then you would be happier. If you had more stuff, then you would have and be more successful. And Jesus is telling us, be on our guard because this is a trap. A trap in verse 15. And then we go on in verse 16. And Jesus, to make his point, he's telling a story and he says, he told them this parable. 
He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. I would argue that we could, we could assume, we could say that there is the American dream encapsulated, isn't it? I mean, the idea of having so much stuff, we have to build bigger storehouses to contain our stuff in. And we have so much stuff, we don't have to work any longer because we can eat, we can drink, we can be happy in our life, in our family, and we never have to worry about work. We never have to worry about finances. We never have to experience pressure from the outside ever again. And this is what God's approval is on that. Verse 20, Jesus says, the story is this guy is laying up and taking early retirement. God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself. That's harsh, isn't it? For the living God to call someone a fool. By show of hands, how many people here hope to live your life in such a way that when you meet God for the very first time, he looks at you and he says, you are a fool for how you invested the last 60, 70, 80, 90 years of your life. You're a fool. You totally misspent everything I gave you and you blew everything for foolish things. None of us do, do we? I mean, what a terrible thought. What a terrible assignment to be given. So the question I ask is, why does Jesus say that God says this rich farmer is a fool? You see, the easy thing to do would just be to assign it that Jesus and God is against stuff. He does not want you to have a lot of stuff. And unfortunately, in American culture today, there is a strong bent within the, within the Christian church that will assign ourselves and say that Jesus, that's exactly what Jesus said. He doesn't like rich people. And we, and matter of fact, there might be even someone here in the sound of my voice today in this building or online watching us that will say, yep, that's exactly what Jesus was saying there. He's trying to tell you that, uh, that to be rich is evil, to be rich is sinful. And the question I ask is, well, okay, how rich do you have to be to become a fool, right? The, we don't have, we don't have a, a scale, do we? We're, well, okay, I can make, make $40,000 a year and, and I'm in right standing with God, but if I make $50,000, now all of a sudden I'm rich and, and God's gonna call me a fool for keeping any of that money, right? You see, the point that I'm trying to make, friends, is that Jesus nor God are against stuff. Okay, let's make that clear. Stuff is, is neutral, right? It's not good, it's not bad. And Jesus is not against you having stuff. Hear me clearly, the teaching from this platform, the teaching from this church is that God is not mad at you if you are rich. You do not feel, need to feel bad because you have a healthy bank account or because you have a healthy savings account. Matter of fact, what well, you say, Tony, what gives you the authority to make that claim? Well, the entire canon of the Old Testament gives me the authority to make that statement because we see time and time again through the wisdom literature, we see how God is giving us advice and wisdom about how to maintain, how to protect, how to build wealth. And so I cannot believe that throughout 
4,000 years of Old Testament history to acquire stuff is good. And all of a sudden, when this itinerant preacher named Jesus comes along, that now we all are expected to take vows of poverty because the kingdom of God is about to be ushered in. I don't believe that is what how the, the scriptures were designed. I look into the Old Testament and I see people like Abraham, who is a wealthy sheikh. He's a wealthy sheikh uh, that lived you know, in the, in, in the land of, of Israel before it was Israel, in the Palestinian area. And he was considered supremely blessed. Why? For his righteousness? Yes. And they saw that his wealth, that Abraham used his wealth in incredible ways to extend the kingdom of God. God is not against you amassing fortune or you amassing stuff. Rather, what I say is, this guy was a fool, I believe, because he had spent so much time worrying about the short period of his life, and he did not spend any time worrying about eternity that he would spend after he crossed over the veil of the shadow of death. This man spent all of his time worrying about what was going to happen in the next five or 10 years, and he refused to spend what would happen to his life in eternity when he was, when he was in the other land, when he was in, in the spirit world, if you will, when he was in the presence of God. You see, the reality is this, this man did not live under a basic principle that we would all be very wise to adopt, and that principle is this, you will not take anything with you. It's something that you and I right now, having a normal conversation, would go, well, yeah, of course, Tony, of course. I know I'm not going to take anything with you, with me when I die. I know that, that the old joke, you know, that, that there's no U-Hauls that are strapped onto a hearse, right? We know that. We know that we can't take anything with us. But think about our history and think about our cultures. You think about like the Vikings that believed that they had to take all of the things that they would take, that they could take into the other land. And so they would, they would when a great warrior died, he was put on a ship and his swords were put on a ship and things were put on a ship and food was put on a ship and they would even go so far as to take slaves and murder the slaves and put them on the ship because the thought was this Viking warrior needed servants. In some cases, the wives and, and even some of the children would voluntarily take their lives because they wanted to go to the other land with their, this dead warrior. You think the Native Americans oftentimes believed that they would take stuff. We have graves in which these warriors would be buried, the Native Americans would be buried with their best bows and arrows and with hunting things, hunting tools and implements. Why? Because they believe when they went off to the happy hunting grounds, and yes, I know that's very ethnocentric, and yet I say it anyway, when they go off into their ever-ever land, that they would take with them their best bow, their best arrow. They would take with them the things to make life good for them. We see this in the Egyptian world. Of course, all of us grew up as children remembering and seeing pictures of King Tut's tomb and the vast riches of wealth. Uh, that were uh, that were sent with him, and and not just not just the gold and the jewels and the onyx and the and the silver, but there would be vessels of grain that was that was given to these pharaohs because the idea is when they went into the other land and when they went into the spirit world, they would need to have grain and food supplies to be able to amass wealth again over there. You see, the reality is the Vikings and the Native Americans and the Egyptians, we all had it wrong. We will not take stuff 
with us. Because the reality is this, whether you like it or not, when you die, your stuff will be other people's stuff. And let's face it, moms and dads, okay? Now, I'm not telling my dad this, but moms and dads, the reality is all the stuff you scrape together for 40, 50 years, all the times you do without because you're thinking, I want to have a little bit of stuff to give my kids one day, here's what's going to happen to 97% of us. Your kids will take the stuff that you've amassed over 40 or 50 years and, and that you've done without. The times that you didn't buy that, you know, you didn't buy that car that was one step above because you were thinking, oh, that's irresponsible and I, I need to have something for my kids and my grandkids. All those times that you refused to have dessert at dinner because you didn't want to pay for that because you were thinking, you know, that's irresponsible. I need, I'm living within a budget. And keep in mind, I'm all about budgets. I'm not anti-budget here. But all those times you've done without and you're going to give that to your kids. And let me tell you, 97% of your kids are going to squander it, okay? They're going to do crazy things with it. They're going to go buy an SUV that they don't need to buy. They're going to go, I know what I'm going to do with mine. As soon as my, my father passed away, I'm going to buy a Raptor. You know, I told Dana, I already told her, I said, hey, just be prepared. I'm buying a Ford Raptor. And yes, we're spending $70,000 on a truck. So, you know, just get, get your mind wrapped around it now. And yes, dad, if you're watching, I'm already spending your money. So, you know, that's what happens to kids, right? They squander the money that their parents give them. So you need to know that when you die, your stuff is going to become other people's stuff. And you can sit back and go, I don't have any kids. So what do you mean? What do you make for me? It's going somewhere, friend. It's going somewhere. So when you pass from this mortal coil, you cannot take your stuff with you. So here's my advice to you today in order to fast track our careers to get the most out of the assignment that God has given us. If I could look to you and not be talking in a room like this, but actually be eyeball to eyeball and we were talking real to each other and saying, Tony, what would you advise to me so that I'm not called a fool one day when I'm in face to face with the living God? I would advise you to consider taking out a spiritual mutual fund. I'm not telling you to give away your stuff or take a vow of poverty. I'm saying that in the, in the same process, at the same time that you're being a responsible steward of the treasures here on this earth that God has put in your hands, also take out a spiritual mutual fund and begin putting a little bit away every day the rest of your life into that spiritual mutual fund, just like you put into a physical mutual fund. And out of, you're going, well, okay, where, where are you coming up with that, Tony? Here's my thought. It's from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul is writing to, uh, to a disciple of his named Timothy, a young pastor, and he's giving advice about how to lead the church. And Paul says to Timothy in verse 17 of chapter 6, command those who are rich in this present world. For the record, you sit there right now and you're going, well, that's not me. I'm not rich in this present world. You need to go online and get on one. of the, There's many engines out there, search engines online, where you can calculate your wealth compared to the rest of the world. And I'm here to promise you this. I can tell you this. If you are making $30,000 a year, you're in the top 2% of the world today. So yes, 
when we're looking at a worldly, you know, looking at the population of the world, every person in this room right now is wealthy. I promise you that. So, so Paul is saying this to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Wow, think about that. Let that soak into our lives a little bit. The arrogance that comes because we, can, we have a problem, we can write a check, right? We, we need to educate our children. We pay someone to do that. We have, we have a, a, a problem physically. We pay a doctor or we buy a drug. We fix it. We fix so many things in our world with our wealth. So it's easy to be arrogant about that and look and feel like we're better than the people that don't have those means. And it's easy for us to put all of our hope in our check-writing ability, isn't it? Until we come to a problem we can't fix by writing a check or paying an amount. Do not be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He goes on to tell Timothy, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. What Paul's saying, this is the way you develop a spiritual mutual fund. You, you be generous. You share. You do good in the world. You do more good in the world and more good for people around you than, and so that you become rich in the amount of good deeds. And Paul goes on and he says that as you lay this treasure up as a firm foundation, you, he says, so, they, that, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul's saying to experience this mutual fund you need to do some things. You need to invest on a daily basis. I love, this is the NIV I was reading from. Another passage I love is the message version. The same passage, the writer, Eugene Peterson, he interprets it this way. He says, tell those who are rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money. Are you obsessed with money? How often do you find yourself going to your retirement account and just looking at it, checking it out? How many times do you find yourself just going over the figures in your head about what you've acquired? Maybe for some of us, we're not into the money thing. How many of us go out to our garage and just look at our car and just take a certain pride? Or you go to your collection of stuff, whatever that stuff is. Maybe it's a gun collection. Maybe, maybe it's, uh, you know, it's... Um, uh, you know, I don't know, baseball cards or whatever. You just look at your stuff that you love. You're so obsessed with it, Paul says, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God who piles on all the riches we could ever manage to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last Gaining life that is truly life. How do we do this? How do we, you know, yes, you already know the principles of, of generosity and doing good, but, but what does that look like for our workplaces? Four ideas here that you just, you know, I invite you to write them down, think about them, and look at how are you doing in these areas. 
to develop this spiritual mutual fund. One, make, make character more important than the bottom line. You know, so many of us, when we go to work, we're worried about how much money we're bringing in or how much are we carrying market share. But instead of that, why don't you work on building your character, being a person who's honest, being a person who's truthful, being a person who will do the best for your customers as possible, being a person who is ruled by character, by, by, by deep things inside. A second thing, make family more important than your finances. So many of us, Oh, we'll say, oh, yeah, we're all about family. But at the end of the day, we're looking at it and we're going, well, we can't take a family vacation because we just don't have enough money. Well, here's what I'd say to that story. You can still do a vacation, maybe just not your dream vacation, right? Take time with your family. Make your family more important. You know this statement as well as I do, that when you find yourself dying, in my vocation, I am around death way too much, certainly more than I want to be. And one of the things I've... in, in 30 years of ministry, I've been in several people's uh, bedrooms and in several people's hospital rooms the last moments of their life, and not a single person has ever said to me, man, I wish I would have gotten that last promotion. I'm so frustrated that I did not make salesman of the year. I wish I could have closed that one account before this illness took over. But every single person, what do they want? They wanted, they wanted their family near them. They wanted to go and remember the memories of their kids and their brothers and their sisters and their moms and dads. Make family more important than your finances. The third thing is allow your faith to outweigh your feelings. As you are going in this world, there are going to be so many times that your faith will be hindered, that your faith will be called into question, not by other people, but by you yourself. And there will be so many times you're going to sit back and go, man, I'm not feeling this right now and I need to operate on what I know. And so you're operating on not what you know, but really what you're feeling in that moment. If you want to be developing a mutual fund that is for your heavenly time, then, then allow, make sure your faith is outweighing what your feelings are saying. And then finally, make kingdom more important than the company for which you're working. What am I talking about? I'm talking about a person like the people I was describing in my prayer time, people that will stand in the gap on behalf of people who cannot stand in the gap for themselves. I'm talking about people who will step up and say, yes, I will make life a little more inconvenient for myself. I will do things a little harder. I will maybe contribute something in order to, to knowing that someone in this world, maybe a friend, maybe a family member, maybe someone who I'm very close to, or perhaps someone I will never meet in my life, I want to see them blessed. I want to see them come to know the love of God that I know. I want to come to see them have the same kinds of things, to have potable water and have food and have clothing and have shelter. I want to be able to see them have the same basics of life that, that we've just grown up expecting. We want to be people who stand in the gap. That's what I'm talking about when I'm describing to be a person where you make the kingdom more important than the company. So I conclude today and just simply ask this question to you. Is your faith making a difference for how you are making a difference? Because the reality is every person in this room is making a difference in this world. Now, you might be making a poor difference, right? Every, but everyone's making a difference. So I guess the first question is, is it positive or is it negative? But the fact if you're making a positive difference in this world... Is your faith helping you make that difference? 
Or do you find yourself trying to bury your faith? Do you find yourself saying, uh, hey, you know, I'm a Christian on Sundays. I'm a Christian when I'm talking to my kids at time when it's time to go to bed and time to say our prayers. But when I work, I have to work like everyone else. I have to have the same ethics. I have to approach life's problems the same way that the lost world around me because I'm in a dog-eat-dog world. And, you know, you're either, you're either a conqueror or you're the conquered. You're either a predator or you're the prey, right? It's easy for us to compartmentalize those things in our lives. Matter of fact, you heard it. Pastor John even talked about that, that for years how he was able to compartmentalize and say, okay, I'm a pastor here, but when I'm working in this job, then I'm just going to focus on doing my job and get out of there, right? And he talked about, you know, when we opened up this series, he talked about how he had to overcome that and see that that was wrong on his part. He shared that with us and it was so powerful teaching and such a good reminder that that compartmentalization just happens to the best of us, doesn't it? Is your faith making a difference for how you want to make a difference in this world? And if it's not, this is your chance to repent, friend, and make it right and become that kind of person that you're not the fool you're not playing the fool, but instead, when you pass away, my prayer for you is when that day comes and you die, yes, you have all sorts of stuff that your kids can fight over and argue about who gets what. Yes, I want you to have plenty of stuff in this world, and I don't want to see you do without. No, I don't want you to have to turn your back on, on those kinds of things, and I'm not advocating for that in any way. But I also want you to be people that when you meet God, he says to you, come in, you good and you faithful servant, because you have taken out a long time ago a spiritual mutual fund, and you were putting into it every day of your life. And when you come into the kingdom, you will reap an incredible reward because of the years and the years and the years of faithful service, oftentimes service that maybe no one else sees but the living God. That's a life worthy of living, friends. That's a life I endeavor to live, and I pray that you do as well. Pray with me. Father, we come before you. And God, we know, we know, I, I love this country, God. I pray, Father, for you, you, God, to bless America. God, I pray for you to to bring to America a, a revival like we've had in the past. God, I pray that you bless every American and you abundantly bless every American that's a first responder, that's a, that's a, a military man or woman that's defending our freedoms. But Lord, in the midst of that, I also have to pray a prayer of repentance because so many of us believe that the American dream is your dream for us. And Lord, the reality is we come to the conclusion that that's just not so. To, to live where we just focus on stuff and just focus on amassing more and more and more and more and the whole time we're ignoring you and we're ignoring your kingdom and we're ignoring the spiritual mutual fund that you're beckoning us to take out. God, it's just plain sin. And so Lord, I pray, I pray that you forgive us for that. And Lord, I ask that the people that are hearing this, my voice in this prayer, whether we're here in this room or we're online watching it today or we're watching it sometime in the distant future, 
would you show us the practical steps we need to take today to begin putting away into our spiritual mutual fund and give us give us the heart desire to do it give us the sense of responsibility God give us even take some certain level of discipline give us the self discipline to put away to that spiritual fund these things I pray in your son's powerful name Amen Thank you for listening to the Northbridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.